0: out into the world with action welcome everybody to someone gets me it's Diane here with an amazing guest I have Jim Adams with me and he is a cross between curious innovative he's a scientist and he does all kinds of amazing things in the engineering and space world wait to hear his stories But most importantly, the cool thing about Jim is he's learned how to marry that curiosity and creativity and critical thinking and science into some magical things and a great career. So, Jim, thank you so much for being here on Someone Gets Me With Me and being the willing person to talk about your life. Thank you so much.
1: I'm looking forward to it, Diane.
0: Oh, we're going to have a blast. And my first question is, what drew you to the aerospace world to start with? Because uh, I'm always fascinated of how how we land in in these neat spots, and you had such a fascinating career. Um, how did it get started?
1: Yeah, so I was born in 1957, which is the same year that Sputnik launched. Mm-hmm. So I consider myself a, a space baby, mm-hmm. and uh, I grew up in the in the 60s and early 70s, and then. I went off to college and I was playing, I, was, I had a degree in physics, I was working on a degree in physics, and I, I was playing with these things called microchips. And at the time, they, they, they weren't very functional. They, they had, uh, you know, maybe three or four gates on them and you could do like add, add two ones together to get two and, and that sort of thing. But um, you, really, you really couldn't do too much with them. Uh, we controlled a few experiments. Uh, And it kind of got me interested. And as I got towards the end of my college degree, I started thinking, well, what am I going to do? I got to figure out the rest of my life here, you know? And and there was this company down the road from where I went to college that was making cash registers. Mm. And I thought to myself, that's what I want to do. I want to take these microchips and Put them in cash registers because back then they were those clunky things with the buttons and the numbers would pop up and the drawers would slide out and all that sort of thing and um and uh, i thought wow you know this is a vision this is something that someday cash registers are going to be all electronic and i want to get in on the ground floor of that. so i went down the road and i applied for a job to work for this cash register company and you know they had the same vision they knew that they, they saw it coming too. And you know, that it was a correct vision, wasn't it? I mean, today you don't even use a cash register, you just tap your credit card on top of a, a terminal right. And, right. and you're done, right? Um, so the technology really has advanced quite a bit. The one mistake I made was I didn't realize that that this company, while they had the same vision, they were hiring electronic engineers, not physicists. Ooh. So I ended up having to go with my second choice. And my second choice was I had sent an application to the General Electric Company who was building uh, spacecraft, because, mostly because they were around the neighborhood from where I grew up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, they had um, they put an ad out for a physicist, so I sent my application in, got an interview, got a job offer, and uh, and that was pretty much how I got into aerospace. I got into aerospace building spacecraft for the General Electric company, and then you know we can talk about it later. But then along the way, I right. got these invitations to uh, to expand my career and to to go do different really cool things. So, but that's how I got started as a vision that didn't really pan out.
0: Wow, that's amazing! Like you think it's going to go one way, but it really goes over here, and it led you to some place that was probably more amazing and beautiful than cash registers in the long run.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm sure the guys that designed those cash registers had fantastic careers, you know. And uh, but I, I did learn a valuable lesson, which is, uh, you know, you need to be able to pivot because things aren't always going to go your way, right? So you right, need to be right. able to adjust and not take it personally and and move on, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely. So when, well, I don't know, this is maybe a little premature, but I just I have to ask it. Has, during your career and all of your life, have you ever had a hard time with overthinking or like thinking more than you would like to, being like stuck in your head analysis process or or has – have you kind of always been able to flow with your thinking? How how's that yeah. been working over so, your lifetime?
1: So that's a really, really good question. And, you know, believe it or not, that's the first time in all the interviews I've done that anybody's ever asked me that question. So it's very insightful. And I'll tell you what my response uh, to that is, is that um, when I was uh, at NASA and I was preparing for some management um, classes, I had to take this, Personality Type Inventory. It's called the Myers Briggs Personality mm-hmm. Type Inventory. It's very, it's used extensively. It's been around since like, you know, since World War One or something. I, I don't right. know, but but uh, it it's uh and and I took the the exam, mm-hmm. and then you know the best way to take that is with a facilitator. You you can do it online and you can read the stuff, but it's really really beneficial if you have somebody there to help you interpret the results and um and the the, the fella from training at nasa said hmm you're going to have a hard time here <laughs> <laughs> and and that's because i was an enfp which meant that mostly i went with my gut to make decisions <laughs> rather than trying to pull in data and do more analysis and, and think, things, uh, think things through. But, you know, I worked with a myriad of amazing people, world-class scientists and engineers that did. And, um, and you know, the melding of a team where you can find creatives and, in, you know, and, and thinkers and put them together, um, you know, you end up landing on Mars. Or right, um, right. or exploring Titan, and you know, I mean, it's a it was an amazing amalgamation of personality types that I think um, led to this period of time that we'll talk about, I guess, more mm-hmm. um, in planetary science, which was really kind of the sweet spot in my career. I'd love to chat more about that.
0: Oh, so. that's amazing! I'm an INFp, mm-hmm. and um, and. In college, I studied more science than anything else. I'm a science geek. I love neuroscience and physics and all of that. Like, and so I'm like, and I'm really creative and I can be that other part too. And so when you're saying that, I'm like, of course, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it's using our gut, though, sometimes that um, allows us to have an edge, so to speak. Because when we're paying yeah. attention to our gut and we're well-educated and we know how to think, in whatever the discipline is, I think that that's a, a really nice combination, and then you add in a team that complements mm-hmm. it; that's perfect. So, did the guy who told you that you weren't going to make it very good at, at NASA um, learn to realize that that wasn't true? Uh,
1: well, he didn't actually tell me I wasn't going to make it. He said I was going to have a hard time, hard and time, then I yeah. needed to be prepared. Right. And um, and he <laughs> and I have stayed friends over the years, and we our careers kind of. Um, uh, parallel to each other right. as we moved up uh, and we would come back together and work on uh, on short projects together and, and that sort of thing. It, it was a great uh, working relationship.
0: I love uh, it. I love it. So what was the hardest part of working at NASA
1: hmm.
0: for you, the most difficult?
1: Yeah, you know, it, I, I would like to say that the hardest part <laughs> was the math you know, making sure that the spacecraft actually got to Mars. You know, because NASA did have a spacecraft that missed Mars because right. guys didn't convert kilometers to miles or something like that. It was before I was there. Um, I would like to say that because it is complex and it, it yeah. is an amazing feat of engineering when you can get to Mars or really any other destination in our solar system. But I think the the most difficult part especially at NASA, where it was the interpersonal relationships mm. and, and guiding a team through all of that, especially because most of the really bright engineers and scientists are introverted thinkers, you know, yes. and, and so oftentimes they don't even want to speak until they know that they've got the entire solution figured out in their mind. Right Whereas creatives, management, they like to be informed along the way, you know they like to participate and and so you know, I think the the biggest challenge was um was working with people and um, and it's a learned skill. you know it's not a thing that that you're born with. you have to just get out there and do it and make a few mistakes and then um and then do it again, and then make another mistake and then do it again so.
0: Yes, that's so true. Sometimes I think that, especially with people, well, with the atypical brain development of of a very smart, gifted person, usually the last thing to develop is the interpersonal skills and the human um, communication and contact and things. And you add to that being in the science world or the engineering world or where there's a lot of thinking being highly reinforced, it would make sense that it would be a little tricky to navigate them. So what was one of the fun things you used to do to help engage your people? All your introverted um, people. How did how did you what was something fun you did to help engage them?
1: Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting because uh, <laughs> you know, you you don't get it right all the time, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and and I thought, well, you know, here's a milestone. It it, it wasn't it wasn't a rocket launch or or, or anything huge, but let's uh, let's have a party. Right. So it was a party. I, I, you know, we arranged this party and it was uh, pizza and beer and, you know, it was offsite and, and people showed up, mm-hmm. but they all sat along the wall and didn't really talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is a failure, you know? And, and, uh, and, and then the next day I went into work and everybody was talking about the party and how great it was. So, I think, especially at a place like NASA, because it takes so long to accomplish a goal, and we can can talk about that too, Mm -hmm. Um, maintaining a vision over the long haul is really, really hard. And so, staying focused on the plan ahead and celebrating those mini milestones or small accomplishments. Right, right. um, is really, really important for helping everybody, not just yourself as a leader, but everybody stay on track.
0: Right, because when you got those long-range visions, if you're not celebrating the milestones, it's really easy to get lost. Oh, yeah. So how how were you able to keep everybody, including yourself, focused?
1: Oh, well, you know, um, you you do. You you say, okay, the next big thing is we're going to build the flight computer. You know, and everybody looks forward to building a flight computer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thermal guy comes around and he says, how can I help? You know, and you say, well, we need to know about how, you know, how to cool it. And, and that's right. so, right. you know, and I'm simplifying things. Right. Of course you lot, are. But, but the, um, but, I you know, I think keeping people informed, especially people at NASA who are very data driven, um, mm-hmm. Uh, I think keeping them informed about the progress along the way is one of the most important ways of keeping everybody on track and focused. Um, there is a tendency for creatives, especially people like me even, mm-hmm. to, um, to get distracted and go,
0: oh, Squirrel. I was just going to ask that. I was going to say, and, what about the squirrel? And,
1: and, and it's true. And so right. one of the things, one of the tools that NASA has uh, developed is early on in your project, in the flight project, you write all the requirements down. Mm. And then you develop the discipline of holding yourself to meeting those requirements. Now, I don't do that in my everyday life, but when you're talking about, half a billion or a billion dollars on a space mission, it's important to keep the requirements straight so that you know that you're going to accomplish the thing that you were charged to do by management, by Congress, and by the American people.
0: Right. Yeah. So without writing it down, the creatives can go off into some far off land and not really get to their goal.
1: Or they get distracted for a little while anyway. Right, yeah, right, And then right. they go, what was I thinking? I got to get back to this. <laughs> no, we're not going to Venus. We're going to Mars. It's right.
0: so. <laughs> still a planet, but just not the right one.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about these um, planetary missions. Mm-hmm. And because when I was reading your bio, and for all of those of you who are curious, I'm putting Jim's bio in the show notes because it's really fascinating. And and I love the planetary work, and we were born in the same year. And I remember the space, um, whole space programs and things like that growing up because I've always been fascinated by it, and um, and celebrating along with everybody. And while I'm out doing uh, my my work with people, and so I want I love the planetary programs, but I don't know a whole lot about them. Mm-hmm in this Mm -hmm. sense, you know, from anything other than, oh, wow, that's really cool. (laughs) So I know that that was important in your career to you. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, how is it important? What what did you dig about it? Because you're like a cool creative guy. So what did you dig about it?
1: Right, right. So... Uh, it's interesting, you know, when you when you start, first off, I worked for General Electric for 10 years. And that's where I learned the engineering skills that I needed, in order to know how to put a spacecraft together, how to make how to develop it, make sure that it was going to do the things that you asked it to do. Then one day, um, I was having lunch with a customer, uh, who's NASA, and uh, we were working on um, designing one of the precursors to the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. and um, and he said, you know, you really should be working for the agency. And uh, and I thought, well, okay, um, I'd I, I think about that. And within about a month, some other things had happened. There was a, there was a time of a lot of mergers going on and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So, so I, I jumped to NASA uh, at that invitation. And while at NASA, then that's where I sharpened my – management skills. And it was on the International Space Station, robotics, it was um, solar physics missions and earth science missions and, um, and uh, learning how to do acquisitions the government way and you know, which is (laughs) total bureaucracy, but you know, it's necessary. And, um, and one day after I had finished this pair of spacecraft that uh, were to uh, look at the sun in 3d. So it's, you you know, you you get the binocular vision like we have with our eyes, only you put them in space and you get this opportunity to look at solar flares and coronal mass ejections and everything else going on in the sun, um, in 3d. And, um, it was remarkable. Um, uh, I got a phone call and the phone call was from NASA headquarters. It was astronaut Mary Cleave. And she said, I really need you to come down here and help manage the planetary science division. Well, up until that point, I had not done any work in planetary science. And now, you know, my career is almost half over and I'm being invited to go do this, this job, which is the deputy director of planetary science. And it, was the most inspiring job. I, I still believe it was the best job, uh, is the best job within NASA. Um, the, uh, the missions all report to you. Uh, so there's like programs and projects and field centers. And mm-hmm. I managed a budget of about $1.3 billion a year. And um, it, was, uh, it was a remarkable thing. But what inspired me about the job was the progress that we were making on a monthly basis understanding our place in the solar system. We had all of these missions out collecting data, Messenger at Mercury, Cassini at Saturn, um, and, uh, and we were getting ready to send a mission to Jupiter and Mars and the moon, and all of them were bringing back these data, this data. Um, That helped. uh, That we were rewriting textbooks in that same time frame, and it just was was a remarkable time. And it was not uncommon, because of the level we were at within NASA, that some of our weekly findings would end up on the desk of the president of the United States. And uh, it was it it was just really heady stuff for a guy who had wanted to design cash registers. Right. And now I have totally forgotten what your question was, but you just got me so revved up about.
0: <laughs> well, that's what I was asking you about the planetary part yeah. of it and like what because it sounds fascinating and you just made it even more fascinating.
1: Yeah. And you know, let's talk about vision for a minute or two, you know. Sure. NASA NASA has a couple of processes for establishing what they want to achieve in in each of their science areas.
0: Right. And,
1: uh, and it involves a worldwide uh, engagement of planetary scientists, if you're talking about planetary science, or heliophysics, or astrophysicists, mm-hmm. or earth scientists. Um, and, and then there's sort of a culling down, and you decide what it is that you want to do. Um, so there are these teams uh, mm-hmm. around the world that have been working to answer some fundamental science questions, let's say, about Pluto. Right? And, um, and and they've been working on it, working on it, and at, at some point, they win the lottery, and NASA chooses them through a, a process that is as much political as it is scientific, and um, and so they get chosen. So the, the team that was working on going to Pluto, the New Horizons team, um, had been working... On the concept for going to Pluto for 10 years wow. before they got the go-ahead to start building the mission it took them nine years to build the spacecraft and get it launched it took the spacecraft which when it was launched was the fastest thing ever to leave the earth it took the spacecraft nine years to get to Pluto right Right. And that's when the science starts. So nearly 30 years from the time the mission was conceived to the time the data came back. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. It, 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 it's, it's, it's inspiring to think that a team can be held together for that long, um, working, uh, and, you know, people come and go. People die, and there's new people hired and that sort of thing, but the, the team stayed together pretty much for 30 years, trying to, trying to understand the fundamental, um, geography, chemistry, um, geology of, um, of Pluto. And, and you saw what happened uh, back, uh, in 2016 or whatever it was that we flew by Pluto. It was, was remarkable. It wasn't anything like what we had expected. Right. Um, and that just in- inspires people to ask more questions and propose more missions and want to know more about what, it, you know, our place in the solar system and the universe.
0: Yes. Well, you know, curiosity is, you know, part of our being, I think. Mm, and, yeah. and then when you add an excitement like that or a piece of the information, it for most of us, it incites, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? Oh, yeah. And so how have you um, managed in your own mind, your own being, that cross where there's a curiosity and the science person, and how do you manage that? Because you have both, and a lot of people listening to the show do have both, and they sometimes struggle with it. I get a lot of questions about um, processing and about Overthinking and about procrastination and perfectionism and and the struggle <laughs> of that dance, right? And yeah, so, totally. I know you totally understand what I'm saying. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do you manage that in your own life? Like, how do you do that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, it it's a learned skill mm-hmm. to be able to bridge between the the two different personality traits, if you will. Right. Uh, and and I I have tricks, you know, mm-hmm. that I use. Um, one is, you know, uh, this is a pretty simple thing, actually, but uh, you're sitting in a meeting. It's a government meeting. It's boring, right? Right. But, but you're expected to participate, right? And And my mind is off thinking about, you know, uh, gee, I wonder what the temperature is on the surface of Mars right now, or, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, much more interesting things than worrying about uh, budgets and schedules and that, the like. So, um, So I would take notes, and I wasn't very good at it, but it was enough to keep me focused. And when my mind would wander, I had... Uh, and you can find them still today in my notes, these little boxes that I would draw in the upper right hand corner of my notepad that I called a parking lot and It was a place I could put a thought. I may never come back to it, but I wrote it down, and that allowed me to to focus back on the uh, on what the speaker was saying or what I was expected to uh, uh, contribute. Um, the meeting. So I have a a number of little uh, tricks like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Staying focused on the requirements, uh, we mentioned that already. Um, You know, there's a time and a place for vision. And then there's a, there's a time and a place for, for, you know, getting down and dirty and Pulling out the soldering iron and and building up the electronics and bolting it to the structure and running the tests and you know all stuff that um, most scientists would much rather not bother with but is necessary. So um, so so understanding where I am in the cycle of a project is really really important. Yeah, in fact, um, one of uh, an advisor of mine. Um, showed me something that she referred to as the Chinese water cycle model. And um, I, I don't think I could do it justice now, but it's a circle and it's got like eight different bubbles in the circle. And it starts out with visioning and then it goes to definition and then it goes to execution and operations and ending you know, Mm -hmm. and understanding where you are in the cycle of things. And, you know, if the water cycle, the Chinese water cycle doesn't, doesn't work for you, you find a different cycle, right? But understanding where you are does help you stay focused and endure the fact that your inquisitive mind is constantly working, even in times when it needs to stay extremely focused. Um, that and, um, and, you know, trying to stay centered, mind and body is really important too, you know. Getting oh, out yes. and walking. Um, swimming was something that was important to me. Um, just, uh, just uh, yeah, just a few tricks like that to, to be a well-rounded individual and somebody who could be listening, paying attention uh, to the rest of his team members.
0: Right. Because sometimes if we're not well-grounded, right? And we're not having some kind of flow in our own lives. It's really tricky to manage, lead, or even be successful in our own vision. We'll get stuck in mm-hmm. places. And we, some people may not even know they're stuck for a while. So how do you help people get unstuck when you are working with them?
1: Uh, well, you're not allowed to slap them anymore.
0: Okay. Well, we can't slap them outside <laughs> the head.
1: <laughs> you know, uh, so I, most people don't come to work um, to try and do nothing, especially people at NASA, you know, right. it's a privilege to work at a space agency and and to to put your baby on top of a rocket and and let it rip, <laughs> you know. Right. And and um, uh, so most people don't want to be stuck, right. right? And so I have found just being yeah. honest with them and saying, you know, you're down in the weeds. You know, in this moment, you really need to be thinking. You know, big picture, and uh, and and so let's let's take a moment and figure out what the big picture is. Sometimes it's the whole team that's down in the weeds and they're worried about where they're going to get the parts and can they get a thermal vacuum chamber on time and that sort of thing. Right. And that's when you call time out and and you say to the team, "Okay, we're we're going away for three days." And we're we're going to do soft. We're going to work on soft skills, and and usually, and, and of course, this was this was you got to remember. This was the two uh, thousands and the nineties and the two thousands. Usually, it would start with a Myers Briggs uh, inventory because it was just a great place to start a dialogue about the differences in operating style.
0: Yes, you
1: know. So, uh, and, and there are other tools out there, by the way. I'm not not promoting MBTI, but uh, uh, but something to something. get people talking uh, was really, really important to me.
0: Right, and getting them talking and having a common language and a common mm-hmm. labels and things like that so that there could be a coming together and a meeting of the minds.
1: Yeah. And then when we come
0: together, we can come out of the weeds easier.
1: There was one project um, that was particularly contentious and myself and the project manager were brought in. This was before I got to planetary science, but we were brought in, um, to try and help heal the project. Mm. Um, which is a weird term to use at NASA. They, they don't use the word heal, but right. that, you know, now since I'm retired and looking back, that's exactly what we were trying to do. There the, the, relationships between the NASA team and the, the primary contractor and the suppliers and the review teams uh, um, had just totally dissolved and it was all uh, in disorder and so the project manager Nick and I we took the team off-site for three days again and we started with MBTI and what came out of that um, three-day retreat was a document that we were reused for the remainder of the project as a reference these are our operating agreements these are the ways that we will behave at you know especially when times get really tense um and uh and that was a remarkable uh product um that that Everybody in the room had bought into, which I think was, which was a good thing. You know, I mean, we could tell, we could tell a new team, well, you got to set up some operating agreements and they'll right. do it, you know, um, but they don't really see the need for it. This was a moment where people said, you know, if we're going to accomplish this thing, um, we've got to get, we've got to get something straight. And so everybody got a line in the document and everybody got heard and there was a debate sometimes, but there was always um, uh, tracks to run on as we moved forward in building up this mission.
0: Oh, that's great. And then everybody could heal the situation Mm -hmm. Um, and then it could move forward successfully because... Absolutely. Essentially, all the obstacles and things were either taken care of, or there was a way to take care of them when they showed back up. Correct. Yeah, that's a great way to do it. So, what is it that you love to do for fun?
1: <laughs> In time of COVID. <laughs> well, we could do a this pre-COVID is, and a post-COVID. This is Ming. Meet Ming. I'm I'm nursing Ming back to health. That's that's. that's my <laughs> Uh, oh <laughs> that I don't know. you know what do I do for fun um uh, my wife and I have been married for almost forty years, nice. and um we garden in fact i I spent um it' was a gorgeous day today and I hardly ever get a day like this in November in the d c area and so I spent most of the day outside uh working on the flower beds and and that sort of thing. I am engaged in a lot of outreach activities uh I give Lectures I've uh, had the privilege of being invited by the State Department to travel around the world as uh, as a science ambassador um, telling the story of NASA and if you think about it the the people that work in the State Department their job is to um, mostly deliver bad news right and and so who doesn't love NASA you know and and so when NASA shows up in a country that's, you know, and the, and the team in the embassies having a bad week or something like that. It's just like light bulbs go on and everybody's, everybody's happy that NASA's there and tell us about space exploration. And can you go tell these school kids about it? And uh, it was, uh, it's just a remarkable experience. I've had the chance to go to some amazing places that I would never have. Um, because of that. And so I find that to be fun, mm. believe it or not. And sure. I've managed even uh, during social distancing um, to be able to do that over Zoom and, uh, and uh, in Facebook groups and that sort of thing. Most recently, I uh, was invited to be part of a, um, of a it's a weekly radio program on the stars and planets in South Africa, oh, nice. um, I'm only on once a once a month, right. but uh, unless there's something really cool happening, and then I'm, they bring me in. But um, but it's all in Afrikaans, oh. and they, but they let me talk in English, thank goodness. And uh, and and it's uh, right. it's amazing how much the you know people just want to know, you know, and uh, and so uh, I, I find that very exciting. The other thing that floats my boat, uh, which is also sometimes a downfall, is mm-hmm. the potential of anything new really grabs my attention and energy. Right. And, uh, and you know, I, I, uh, I have a book I've started. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well i have several Uh, out if if you would like inspiration to help finish it i'm very good yeah i was
1: looking i was looking through your um through (laughs) your uh posts there about the the various books and and some of them look pretty good actually (laughs) yeah um yeah so i i thought it would be really cool to um put together a compendium of the stories i've told around the world Mm -hmm. and uh Everything from, you know, how does a toilet flush in space to how do you land on Mars? Right. Everything. Yeah. And, uh, and so I started that and, um, and of course, immediately life got in the way. I've got about four chapters of 20 written, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, so I'm in the operations phase. I, I need (laughs) to, uh, I, I need to just buckle down and, and, and just do it. But, uh, But yeah, so those are a few things. Like garden, I do public speaking, and I'm working on a book.
0: Yeah, those are really fun things. I have a a client who is in California and he's writing a screenplay for Mm. an upcoming movie. And he goes, I got it started. And then it just kind of kept slowing down. So now twice a week, we meet for 30 minutes so he can read me what he wrote. So Ah. he has to do writing in between. Otherwise, there's nothing to read to me. And he almost, he'll have it, ready for the next level of editing by Thanksgiving now. And, um, and so I said, that's the best way to do it. You have accountability. You have somebody who's going to be waiting eagerly to hear it or be part of it. And then yeah, get it done. That's how I, I get mine done. I have something on the other side helping me stay focused.
1: So, I mean, uh, uh, a reward after the, uh...
0: or a person to, you know, account like I'm holding him accountable or something yeah. that, um, adds the discipline for this is the dedicated and protected time for this project.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, whatever yeah. that means, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, the other, you know, like I said, the, the other thing that really floats my boat is anything new. So <clears throat> you can imagine there's a number of tech startups that uh, would call and say, Jim, would you ser- serve on our advisory board? Well, tell me about your. Right you know we're making these high altitude airships and or we're designing software for nurses or we're vr i mean and it's just it it all just like makes my brain catch on fire you know i just love that sort of thing and uh, <clears throat> and so i'm i'm learning that i have to be able to throttle back my involvement and just just be an advisor rather than a participant but um, but, yeah, so I have a number of those, and I had a couple of really cool contracts. Um, and and I, too, am consulting on a movie. Um, actually, it's a PBS uh, Independent Lens um, piece about uh, loneliness and long-distance space travel, which Ooh. is really interesting given, given that... We sold this to PBS well before the pandemic hit, and now we're you know we're putting a thing together about the um, uh, we're putting a thing together about um, loneliness, you know, and isolation, and uh, so it's just very timely, and I'm really proud to be part of the team of that.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. My second book is called The Loneliness Cure.
1: Oh, yes. I saw that. And, I did see that.
0: It's a big topic and, and it's an increased one now, obviously, mm-hmm. for lots of reasons. So on all the different companies that have called you to help them out or be their advisor, are there some that you'd like to share about that you th- <laughs> find that are particularly like, wow, I can't believe they're calling me. This is like so fun or a new thing that just really, you know, lit you up, so to speak?
1: Well, I, I have an immense amount of gratitude for anybody who calls me, you know, and <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just because it, it represents something brand new, mm-hmm. you know. It's just for me. It's just a, it's an amazing thing. Um, I had a contract. I can't tell you what it's what what it was to do, but it was with Louis Vuitton, and. Wow and you know you could just sort of let your imagination run wild what what would you what would a space geek be doing working with the roboton um and it it was it was amazing um, the vision that these people have and and how they go about accomplishing it in the end the the nasa vision cycle takes far too long for the commercial vision cycle. And so uh, it didn't actually fully come together, but it was uh, it was a neat road to travel down for a little while. Um, I have a contract in Sweden with a, a company that's just a few hours a month, but it's fun, um, that runs a music archive for, um, for YouTube creators. And, uh, and so that's kind of fun. They wanna start a, uh, uh, well, I'm not supposed to say, Maybe you cut that piece out. <laughs> but I yeah, I, I, the music archive in Sweden is just really kind of cool.
0: Yeah, so. that's amazing. And so I think a lot of times people don't really realize the interdisciplinary options and opportunities in the thinking, you know, a space geek talking to Louis Vuitton and a music archive and this over here and that over there, that all does really, everything affects everything. Everything works together in interesting ways when we open our mind to it. And so, oh yeah. I mean, that's why I wanted you to say some of the different things because most people say, well, space is space. Well, that's true. And there's all these other things oh, that, yeah. that um, can get you really excited. And it's the Don't same
1: even, the I end. mean, you know, every dollar we spend on a space mission stays on earth and drives a space economy that then creates, um, and, uh, Intellectual property and technology and methods that can be used in many, many other ways.
0: Right.
1: So uh, I, one of my favorite is, you know, um, uh, whale sharks are yes. the enormous beasts. Some of them get to be 10, 15 meters long and, um, and they're spotted. They're dark-skinned, and they have these white dots all over them, and and the pattern of the dots is very much like a fingerprint. Well, there were some guys at a conference that met some NASA dudes, and and they said, you know, if we use the pointing algorithm for the Hubble Space Telescope, we might be able to uh, uniquely identify whale sharks. And do you know it worked? So... So now when they're trying to identify a whale shark, which um, it, it's not an endangered species, but it's a threatened species, um, a diver just needs to take a picture. And uh, they don't have to tag the animal or anything. And, they, and it can be done from almost any uh, angle. So um, they just need a picture. And they can now fingerprint a whale shark that's amazing
0: that's totally amazing.
1: Uh, we were looking for ways to assure that astronauts in space were getting the right nutrients, and we developed this this um, uh, protein uh, from seaweed mm-hmm. and um uh, we thought, hey, this is pretty cool, you know. And so we were putting it in the astronaut food. And I, I don't really know if it made the food taste bad or anything, but the uh, but the astronauts were staying healthy, and so that was important. And and so then, you know, we got a patent on it. And because it's the government and the taxpayers paid for for it, we put the um, we made the patent available to the public. Um, and uh, a fella in New England picked it up and said, I can put this in baby formula. And um, for a time, I don't know if it's still true today, but for a time, about half of the baby formula worldwide was using this product that NASA had developed uh, the method of isolating um, to feed babies around the world. So uh, exploring space has direct applications right here on earth every day. Yeah. And I'm, I I was proud to be a part of it for 30 years.
0: Right. And, and I don't, I'm glad you said that in that nice, clean, concise way, because so many people I think don't necessarily understand or know or think that, Mm -hmm. you know, they think space is in space and, and then that's (laughs) it. And there's so much more happening.
1: So, Diane, I, I really think I mean, you—you kind of tagged it too earlier. It's—it's it's important to stay open to options, not just pivot when something goes wrong, right. but to stay open to options. Right. And and um, so, you know, uh, whenever you try and um, overcome an obstacle, right, accomplish a great thing, um, or or do something that's really, really hard, you're going to run into speed bumps and potholes and, and small failures along the way. Those, those, opportun- those are opportunities, I should say. They are. To, to find um, solutions, not only to your problem, but, pro- but solutions to problems that you may not even know exist yet. You know, when the guys were designing the Hubble Space Telescope, pointing out, they they didn't know anything about whale sharks. You know,
0: nor were they thinking about whale sharks when they were designing it. No,
1: they (laughs) were following the requirements, as we talked about earlier. About like, we want to get the Hubble pointed at the stars, right? And so, um, so uh, yeah, I think it's important to stay open to options and to share and to and to encourage. Uh, creative people to tap into their creative side. And actually there's, I I say creative people, it's really, we should really encourage everybody to tap into their creative side.
0: Right, absolutely. I just want to shift gears just a minute here because I would like you to speak to the parents of young people or the young people. Um, And what I would like you to share about is some encouraging words maybe or support for their science exploration. Like they're, uh-huh. like I have a 15-year-old that I'm working with who is a thespian, but he also really cares about science and the stars and things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing a lot of work with the parents to say it's a yes and support all of it mm-hmm. and then see where it goes. And there's a, there's a lot of people who aren't really, I think they sometimes need that permission in an odd kind of way from somebody outside of them to go for it. And so, what would you say to that young person listening to us right now, or the parent of a young person who might be listening and going, "Oh, that's my kid yeah um, what would you say to them nurture to it the, nurture it yeah
1: i i I would say you know if, if they express an interest in in building model airplanes, then get them a model airplane kit if they're interested in flying kites then go fly a kite. You know, I I think it's important to find ways to nurture an interest, um, and, and not become so narrowly focused that, you know, when you're in elementary school, you're defining the rest of your life by saying, well, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be clerk at the local grocery store. I, you know, right. Probably not, you know, um, Einstein was a clerk in a patent agency, a patent office, you know. And so I, I think it's important um, to, to recognize the things that interest the next generation mm-hmm. and encourage them. The other thing that I often tell people, and, and um, they kind of don't really want to hear it, <laughs> is, is the arts. I think the arts are incredibly important for science and technology. And the logic kind of goes like this, you know, um, the arts inspire an entire generation Mm -hmm. and that generation then defines the goals and the objectives and ultimately the vision of a society that feeds the scientists and the engineers. And so it's the, scientists and the engineers that are trying to answer society's questions and accomplish the things that society says they think they need because society has been informed by the arts and their imaginations have been stimulated and their creativity has been um uh, developed and and i so i i think you know it's not just important for one person to be involved in the arts. It's important for everybody. Yes. Because it defines the future of a society.
0: Yes. Oh, well said. That's so true. So true. So true.
1: You know, kids, by the way, so I'll get, get to a much more practical answer to your question. Okay. Kids will walk up to me and say, you know, I'm in junior high school and I want to work for NASA someday. And I don't know if I'm smart enough. I get that a lot. And um, uh, what should I study? You know? And, and, um, I always say, the well, first thing I say is because I like teasing them algebra, <laughs> <laughs> take as much algebra as you possibly can because you're going to need it, you know? <laughs> um, but you know, again, it comes back to nurturing your interests and right, if right. if you want to work for nasa or a contractor that works for nasa or somebody that supplies things to the space program you'll find a way to make that happen it it will emerge in due time and so um so that's what i usually say to kids that want to know what to study yeah that's great
0: <laughs> that is wonderful um so is there anything that I didn't ask you that you really wanted to talk about today? Hmm. Anything on your mind or your heart that like, wow, you know, I really want to make sure that I say this or express that. I have a couple questions, but first I want to cover that.
1: Yeah, you know, Diane, you've been such a great host. You you stimulate my own thinking. Okay. Um, there's not really uh, anything that absolutely comes to mind. I, I would say as I neared the end of my career, I, you know, I went to planetary science mm-hmm. and then I got another phone call, right? So I was invited to go work for NASA. Then I got this phone call, I said, come do planetary science. And then I got this other phone call from the deputy administrator of the agency that said, you know, we really need you upstairs. Um, and it wasn't because I was smart. I think it was because I was creative, you know, and, um, and I was the deputy chief technology officer for the agency. And um, it was it was a cool job, and it was a necessary job. And I got to hobnob with some extremely high-ranking people in the U.S. government and around the world. Um, and I used it as a platform uh, to launch what I do after I uh, retired. But um, but to be honest, I missed the science. It, it took me about two months to realize that that this kind of wasn't a fit for me you know it it was uh it was um it was a thing that was necessary and as a good civil servant i went off and i i started working on it you know and and again there was a there was a problem and there was some healing that was needed um so i guess I guess what I'm really saying is that the sweet spot in my career and in other people's careers too, as I talk to them once they've retired, oftentimes the sweet spot of your career is not the last job that you have, but it's the second to last job. And, um, and, and so, you know, when you talk to me about, um, about working at NASA, I immediately go to planetary science But you know, I did other things too. You know, right? (laughs) I I was the deputy chief technology officer for the agency, and I was the uh, I was acquisition manager for a variety of different things. You know, it's just um, uh, it was one of these uh, these moments that was kind of defining, and you know, I had to say yes to. um, It's easy to think, Oh, I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. I, you know, I, I'd never worked in planetary science before, I, you know, gee, 1.3 billion dollars. That's a lot of money, you know, right, it, right. uh, it, uh, but you know, will you be successful at it? Yeah. You know, I mean, people believe that I would be successful. So why shouldn't I believe that I would be successful? And, um, yeah. and so uh, so now I'm waxing, but, but the point is I had an amazing career basically by staying op- open to options mm. and paying attention to what was going on around me.
0: Yes, I'm glad you, you said it about paying attention because just the other day I, I do a Facebook Live every morning and I, one of the things I said was play heads up ball. You have to, we have to pay attention <laughs> to what's happening around us because in that are all of our opportunities and and. And things, and so I'm glad you said that because it's true. We have to be open and pay attention, like because you never know. You never know. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you are smart enough. I always tell people if you're asking a question like that, the answer is yes. Yeah, because if because well, people you who know, aren't smart enough won't ask, aren't asking the question, <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not a or, concern to them.
1: But we also have this um, society that starts to self judge. Way too early like in in a mm-hmm. person's lifetime oh yeah and and you know i don't know where that comes from, but it's possible i mean i'm not the brightest guy in the world and i'm well spoken but i'm not I'm not amazingly bright and um uh, and I was able to rise to be the highest ranking technologist in the agency, you know so it uh it it's just Um, you know, staying open to opportunities, being willing to pivot to create your own vision and moving forward, and and maybe not hanging on so tightly to the absolute goal that you set for yourself, but being willing to be open to changes.
0: Yes, that's, that's brilliant. So two more questions. One is, what is the most memorable food you've ever eaten? all your travels and everything. What's got the, <laughs> the most memorable?
1: Mm. Mm. Most memorable food I've ever eaten has to be Malva pudding in South Africa. And it's a, it's a bread pudding served with a um, kind of a vanilla sauce. It's, it's dessert, mm-hmm. you know, basically. But it's a bread pudding in, in South Africa. I just love it. I, I would gain 30 pounds every time. <laughs> <laughs> we Not really, but I, but I, you know, is it? It's a, it's a um, wonderful taste.
0: Ooh, sounds delicious. Yeah. So my very last question is: if we were going to have a billboard that the whole world was going to see, and it's going to have your message on it for everyone to see, what would you put on that billboard? Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. That's a good one, right? Keep yeah. going. Stay open. Let's go. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. What a fun conversation! I could talk to you forever and ever. I have so many questions um, because I think that the combination of creativity and science and innovation is so important to be honored and and appreciated instead of mm-hmm. things being just so one-sided. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your life to entertain my questions and be part of my show. And, and I know that everyone's going to be very excited to hear your words and your wisdom. So thank you so much.
1: And thank you for having me. It was a privilege to be here.
0: Yeah, uh, Thank you. Well, everybody, if you've really loved everything that Jim's saying, half as much as me, check out his bio and his information in the show notes and let him know you heard him here Someone Gets Me. And remember, all of you, Keep your face to the sun so the shadow falls behind you because you're a rock star and you're here on purpose with a purpose. So let's all go out there and live our best life with an open mind and an open heart till the next episode of Someone Gets Me. Be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again,
1: thanks for listening.